Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today we're going to talk about um, has the COVID-19 pandemic lit a fire under a hidden pandemic? So this is kind of um, a story about how the COVID-19 pandemic panned out for me and how it led us to um, an interesting new project. So during the first and second COVID-19 waves, um, and especially as the virus was taking hold of the UK at the beginning, the Royal Free Hospital in London, where our laboratories are based, bore the brunt of the hospitalised patients, um, certainly in London, so much so that they made a BBC document documentary about the really quite heroic battle that the staff faced. Um, and as one by one the wards fell to COVID-19, um, the whole hospital eventually, bar a few um, emergency facilities, just basically became a tribute to um, the virus. They even had to build a second oxygen facility um, to cope, which is obviously something that a lot of countries have had to deal with, um, as you've probably seen on TV. Um, but SARS-CoV-2, which is the name of the virus which causes COVID-19 disease, um, and the WHO have created guidance on the naming that you can find in my blog. Um, it was, of course, an unknown entity at the beginning, and we were the only ones in the hospital who had a containment level three laboratory. Um, so we pretty much shut up shop to our normal work and became a sample processing unit for many of the uh, brilliant clinical trials that have led to what is now standard practice for COVID-19 patients and their treatment. The COVID-19 wards were, I think, really stressful places. And again, I'm sure you've probably seen the images of those exhausted doctors and nurses, uh, faces bruised from hours in really hot, claustrophobic uh, personal protective equipment, caring for patients who just wilted in front of their eyes in unbelievable numbers. Um, the PPE, which, by the way, is designed for men, despite 70% of healthcare workers being women. Something perhaps we didn't realize at the time, uh, due to the obvious priority of COVID, was that these changes in the way we deal with COVID-19 patients, uh, both to protect the staff and to try and protect the patients, um, these changes affected the spread of hospital-acquired, uh, also known as nosocomial, infections between patients and also in staff uh, on the wards. And this was especially apparent in the transmission of antimicrobial-resistant bacteria. Now, my excellent clinical colleagues started collecting these bacterial infection samples from the patients on the COVID wards um, and brought them to me to sequence them so that we could build a phylogenetic tree um, to see how related they were and see whether there might be transmission between um, patients on the ward. And sequencing has become really, really important during the COVID uh, pandemic, both for sequencing COVID uh, and looking for variants, but also using it um, to look at relatedness of other organisms, uh, as is the case with our project. So whilst I was busy processing clinical trial samples and sequencing those isolates at the Royal Free Hospital, I was still um, working with my Pandora ID Net colleagues across Europe and Africa. Um, but everyone's attention turned to COVID-19. Um, and while searching through the literature, um, sort of midway through 2020, I found that there was a real lack of COVID-19 research um, from Africa at the time and practically nothing at all on the effects of COVID-19 on the already really quite precarious infrastructure to deal with AMR, um, which is something I wrote about last year uh, and published an article on, which you can read if you go, there's a link on my blog.
AMR, antimicrobial resistance, is predicted to be really quite catastrophic if we don't start doing something about it. Um, and the O'Neill report, again, there's a link um, in my blog, really sort of points this out. Um, it is it is a long article, but it's really well worth a read if you're interested in antimicrobial resistance. So seeing the uh, results from our study in our own hospital in the Royal Free, uh, this worried us, along with the, the lack of data from other areas of the world, especially lower middle income countries. So myself and some colleagues um, wrote a proposal for a study similar to the one at the Royal Free, but in hospitals in Zambia and Sudan, two of the sites that we work with as part of Pandora. Now, the pain of writing a grant proposal could probably fill a number of articles uh, on its own, but after we spent a lot of time over the August bank holiday um, working on this, um, the British Society for Antimicrobial Chemotherapy took a chance on me as a first-time um, PI, um, principal investigator, and as an early career researcher, and awarded us $65,000 to look at this um, link between COVID-19 um, practices and the spread of antimicrobial resistant infections in hospital. So as a background, we know that patients who develop severe illness due to COVID-19 are far more likely to have bacterial co-infections, so once acquired in hospital, um, and therefore the World Health Organization recommends treatment with antibiotics um, for severe patients. As a result, many countries are changing the way they prescribe antibiotics um, and this kind of process is known as antimicrobial stewardship. In addition to the changes in their infection prevention and control practices, such as the use of PPE on COVID wards, um, just like we saw at the Royal Free. So in our study, uh, we're based in hospitals in Khartoum in Sudan and Lusaka in Zambia, and we're identifying infection prevention and control guidelines for COVID-19 and non-COVID-19 wards to try and see whether there are differences, which obviously in the UK we know there are, but we need to see which differences there are in these two countries. We're also then gonna compare the infections acquired by patients um, on the COVID-19 wards versus the non-COVID wards. And we're gonna do this by microbiological, so culturing methods um, and also sequencing methods to identify the species um, and also identify antimicrobial resistance transmission patterns. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to coordinate projects, multi-site projects as it is, but it's especially hard to coordinate projects from thousands of miles away when you have no real chance of being able to go out to the sites. But I am extremely lucky to have two really excellent groups of colleagues, both in Sudan and Zambia, who are really knowledgeable, really enthusiastic and absolutely brilliant at what they do. So I have every faith that this is gonna be a really awesome project. One of the things I'm really, really hoping will work well is setting up the Oxford Nanopore sequencing platform in both countries. Um, and this is something that UCL, um, our team, are providing training for. The platforms and the training program that um, will be part of this project will enable the teams not only to undertake the sequencing for this project, but also to set up hopefully a sequencing pipeline and validate a sequencing pipeline for the identification of multi-drug resistant bacteria in clinical settings um, and boost the capacity in the laboratories to be able to do this in the first place. So far, we've enrolled nearly half of the patients that we need. 
And we've done some online sequencing training sessions, uh, which you can see here. Again, there's a link um, on the blog. I think so far it's going pretty well, considering this is my first ever time as a, uh, as a PI. Um, the British Society for Antimicrobial Chemotherapy have already commissioned um, an article on our projects, and I've set up a Twitter account if you'd like to see how it's going. Uh, and this is aimed at providing plain language updates so that everyone can feel part of the project. After all, as I say, we're not funded by scientists, we're funded by everyone, regardless of education level. So please feel free to follow us on Twitter uh, for updates.